0: Let's open with prayer. Father, we rejoice in this moments of worship through singing that we've had together as Paul led us through prayers and worship of you. Father, as we continue, as we sit under the authority of your word as an act of worship. Father, as we Have conversation with one one another after the service as an act of worship. Father, that we be cognizant of this blood of Christ that's been poured out over us as a double cure. Not just forgiving us our sins, but covering us in Christ's righteousness. Father, that this would perpetually be before us as we fix our Gaze our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us this morning. Help me in my own feeling of inadequacy of such a vast, immeasurable topic. For we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In 1507, a young Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther was performing his first Mass. Having been ordained a a few months earlier, Martin's father had come to witness this taking place. His father, of course, was not a big supporter of his son becoming a priest. He would rather his son have become a lawyer. But he had finally come to terms with Martin's choice in the priesthood, and so he brought along Twenty of his companions with him to witness Martin's first mass. Now, the church at this time, the, uh, for the church at this time, the, the mass was this focal point of, uh, uh, of of the church's means of grace, the, the sacrifice of Jesus was reenacted as Catholics believed in transubstantiation, a big term you may have heard or may not have heard. It's the belief that the elements of the bread and the wine, these common elements, supernaturally transform into the actual body and blood of Christ during the prayer of consecration, which can only be offered by one who has gone, gone through holy orders and has been consecrated as a priest, as Luther had. And that is the only way that the miracle of transubstantiation can take place, according to the Catholic Church. And so Luther was the top student in his class. And he had prepared himself in all of his training for this moment. This was the most important thing. It was not the preaching of the word. It was not the reading of the word. It was the mass. This is the most pivotal point in all that he's been preparing for. He would make his prayer over the elements and the divine mystery would take place. Then after the consecration happened in the hands of this son of a coal miner, Would be not bread and wine and common elements of this earth? But nothing less than the holy body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so the moment in the Mass came when the prayer was to be uttered. And everyone is at the edge of their seat waiting for Luther to say these words of consecration, of of setting apart where the transformation takes place. And he came to that point in the Mass. And this one who had proven himself to be so eloquent and so uh, uh, gifted in speech suddenly froze. And he began to tremble. And his mouth opened and his lips began to move, but no words came out. And the congregation were were almost willing the words to come out of his mouth. His father was hiding his face in embarrassment that his son couldn't even get through this simple celebration of the Mass that he had memorized and recited a thousand times. Now, everyone thought that he had just simply panicked and forgotten his lines. But he didn't forget the lines. Finally, he just sort of mumbles them out and he he rapidly completes the Mass and then he leaves the chancel in, in, in this profound embarrassment. And it wasn't until later that he explained that it wasn't a mental lapse. But rather, it was that he began to contemplate the idea That this one, this sinful human being would dare to have the audacity to hold in his filthy hands the precious body and blood of Christ. Luther was so overcome with his unworthiness that he froze in that moment. Unworthiness and sin, these are our obstacles between us and Holy God. And Luther understood the infinite chasm between Creator and creation. In order for there to be a, a, a right relationship, what people need is reconciliation reconciliation. And that brings us perfectly to our topic this morning as we are looking at the priest in our series on the prophet, the priest, the king, the three anointed offices of Jesus the Christ. Now when I say priest or priesthood, I wonder what do you think of? I think sometimes you all think of This picture, which I'm going to share with you. So that's the church I worked in in Sydney, Australia, and at our 8 o'clock service was very traditional. And so I would wear my priestly vestments, the robes. But sometimes this is what we think of, right? And we think of the the Catholic church. We think of people who, who mediate the means of grace. Confession to a priest, absolution through a priest, a, a, a holy man. But what are the origins? And for that, we go all the way back to Genesis, which most of you all have been journeying with us very creepily and steadily through Genesis as we've slogged our way through. And we, just as we did last week when we looked at the prophets, we returned to the days of Abraham. Abraham. And we come across this mysterious figure in Genesis chapter 14. Again, if you've been with us through the series, you're, you're all too familiar with all of these names and terminologies. But Abraham has just rescued his nephew, Lot, uh, who was caught up in this war between uh, ancient kings from the region. And because Lot uh, didn't camp out near Abraham, he instead moved his encampment closer to the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah, he too is captured up by this invading force. And uh, so Abraham takes 318 of his trained men and he goes and he, he rescues Lot and he, he plunders all of the possessions that have been stolen from these towns. And so the king of Sodom, who had been defeated in this battle, he comes out to the valley to meet Abraham. But there's also this other king who comes out. And his name is Melchizedek. And the scripture notes that he is also priest of God Most High. And Melchizedek brings out bread and wine, and he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him one tenth of his possessions, of everything. And then, just as mysteriously as this character has shown up on the scene, he disappears. But this is the first priest that we come across in Scripture. We'll come back to him later. Well, what is the role of the priest? What is the role of the priest? A priest is actually the opposite role of what the prophet was. The prophet represented God to the people. He was the mouthpiece for God to the people. The priest is the opposite. He represents the people to God. And so the nation of Israel begins to grow while they're in Egypt. And Moses, as a prophet, he leads the people out of slavery. And God sets up this office of priest. In Exodus chapter twenty-eight, verse one. God has given Moses for instructions on the construction of the tabernacle, the temple, with all those curtains of uh, creating celebration from the uh, sorry creating separation between the 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 holy of holies and where the people will come and worship. And we have that image of the of the cherubim sewn onto this curtain. And then the Lord says to Moses, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons. So the role of priests is passed down through a family line, through the line of Aaron, the Aaronic priests, if you've heard that term. And and then after the golden calf incident, the Levites, the whole tribe of Levi, are given to Aaron and his sons to help serve. And what was their job specifically for the priests? The priests were to guard the house of God. And the priests were to serve God's people. Guard the house of God and serve God's people. Their role most certainly was tied to sacrifice and the sacrificial system. Their job had to do with officiating at the temple sacrifices and offering prescribed sacrifices according to the law. So then the question is, why are sacrifices necessary? What is the point of sacrifice? Well, we said that priesthood began with Melchizedek, but but really priesthood begins... With Adam in the garden. Though the term priest is not used for Adam in the garden, but the picture is there. Adam in Eden is a type of priest-king. God has crowned him with honor and glory. And he's authorized him to subdue and to rule. And he gave him priestly instructions for serving in the garden temple. But when Adam sinned and fell short of God's glory, God expels him from his garden sanctuary. And it destroys any chance of Adam being a priest king. It was Adam's sin that made sacrifice necessary because death was the punishment for sin. Death was the punishment for sin. Blood must be shed. And so we see the sacrifice of an animal. When Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with leaves, it is an inadequate sacrifice and covering. And so in a, a blameless, spotless animal must be sacrificed. And we get this image in, in Genesis 3 also of, uh, of a cherubim, of an angel with a flashing sword as the guard that Adam failed to be in the garden. And it's an image that, as we just said, was sewn into this curtain of separation between God and His people. And so the rest of Scripture is really this searching for a mediator. Who could stand before God? This is Job's issue in chapter 9 of the book of Job when he cries out, There is no arbiter between us who may lay his hand on you and on me. The while the priesthood in Israel sinks lower and lower into failing to do their job, and we see this very clearly in. 1 Samuel chapter 2, when the sons of Eli, the high priest, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, they abused this role of priest. In fact, scripture says that they did not know God. A priest who does not know God, that's that's a terrifying thought. They were sleeping around with women, they were treating the sacrifice with contempt, and so God brings judgment. And it's funny how in Scripture, whenever things tend to reach their lowest point, there's a prophecy that comes from it. And so when it looks like this priesthood has absolutely, utterly failed, we read in this exact same chapter a promise of a new priesthood of God. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 35, "...and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest." who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. In Psalm 110, we see a glimpse of this representative of God to come. When when David writes, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then David describes this person as a king. A king. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Then he says of this representative, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek has come up again. Now I wonder if you would just take a second with me and put yourself in uh, Old Testament Israel shoes. Just a a normal everyday person. What's going through your mind As you're looking at this role of priest, these men who are day after day after day slaughtering animals, spilling blood, spreading blood, doing all of these sacrifices, what might be some things that are going through your mind? The first thing might be I have a lot of sin. There is so much blood being spilled. We're having to do this every morning, every evening, on special occasions, constantly, around the clock, over the calendar. And if this is representing the covering that I need, it's shining a light on just how desperate I am. I am a wicked person and I need constant covering for for all of my failings. And the other thing is, how far can the blood of these animals really go? One, we'll probably run out of animals eventually, it seems like, or if it's, you know, me, if I'm thinking about my own sin. But two, there has to be a better way. And we pick this up in the prophecies of the priest, that there is a priest who's going to come, who's going to make a perfect sacrifice. You know, how long will this go? Now, I want to continue this thought, but in a slightly different way. I want to play a, a sound for you, and I want to see if perhaps you are familiar with it. Based on the slight laughter, very few of you recognize this sound. <laughs> And of course, some of you are totally confused. You have no idea what that is. This is the sound of dial-up internet. It was slow. It was cumbersome. It would drop out. It would freeze. But it served its purpose for its time. It connected people to the internet for the, for the first time. It, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. But most IT people knew that it would not always be like that. Today we have Wi-Fi. Let me play the sound of today's Internet. Yep, there it is. <laughs> you you all have it on phones in your pockets. I mean, it's unbelievable. High-speed Internet, Wi-Fi, w- without cords and cables and telephone cables. Uh, Jeff Volkowski was telling me he said he bought a 100-foot telephone line so he could plug it into his computer and walk around his house and have his, uh, you know, Wi-Fi back in the day. Now we have fiber optic cables and satellite connection and, and, and it's capable of so much more than a landline copper cable to, uh, plugged into a, a, a modem. W- what we have is so much fuller and better and more beautiful the new has completely supplanted the old but can you believe that there are still people out there that are using dial-up internet it's shocking it's shocking do they know what they are missing out on have they any clue imagine trying to explain what we have now what our capabilities are now to a dial-up person Just the the beauty and the the speed and the uh, abilities of what exists today. And again, that is what is happening in the book of Hebrews. As the author or the preacher explains how much better the new covenant is. And so we think of priests then. Representing man to God... Guarding the house of God, serving God's people, offering sacrifice. But it was temporary, like dial up internet. And so gratefully we turn to prophets fulfilled, sorry, priests fulfilled. Priests fulfilled. Hebrews chapter five shows us what qualifies a good high priest. One, he represents man to God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Two, he is appointed by God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Three, he offers sacrifices for sins. For he makes intercession for the people. We read that in Hebrews chapter 7. And the whole book of Hebrews is making the argument that only only Jesus Christ, the anointed one, fulfills this role. Now, I know that that comes as a shock to you. That's a joke. I sure hope you thought that that was where we were going (laughs) Who's he going to say is this priest? I'm just, I've been waiting, been waiting. Are we still struggling with daylight savings? (laughs) I know I am. I actually was losing my voice yesterday because I was yelling at five and six-year-olds. I should explain that. (laughs) I coach my son's soccer team with my brother, and uh, I'm trying to urge them to push the ball forward, and I was yelling really loudly, and then I thought, I've got to preach both services tomorrow. Gonna be very hoarse. Um, no, it's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. Someone shared with me yesterday. He said, "I don't want to get your thoughts on this." And he pulled up, he showed me, and it was this other preacher that was saying, "We miss out on everything if we're not pointing our people to Christ. If we're pointing them to some other thing, what, what, good works, uh, uh, you know, salvation by some other means." We can do that as preachers. We can forget. We can miss the point. But this is the whole point. Jesus is the answer. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. But the question now is, how is he the answer? How does he fulfill this particular role as a priest, which we are in such desperate need of? Again, picture yourself in the Old Testament, looking at all the blood, looking at all the sacrifice, looking at the the person who is able to represent you to God and how desperate you are for a priest to do that. Well, we come back to Melchizedek. And we see that Jesus is the only high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the only priest king. You are a priest Forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's repeated over and over and over throughout Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 7, again, listen to this. For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, King of peace, righteousness and peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues as a priest forever. So Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, which is higher than the Aaronic priests, higher than the Levite priests, because Hebrew says, Abraham paid the tithe, he paid the 10% to Melchizedek, and in the loins of Abraham was Aaron and Levi. Therefore, Melchizedek is of a higher order of priest than they. What else? This is just the beginning. He mediates a better covenant than the old covenant. He is a priest who is indestructible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number. Think about through those thousand years of priest priest after priest after priest after priest after priest because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save. To the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He, he offers one sacrifice once, unlike the priests before him who had to offer sacrifice every single day. Not only for the people, but they have to offer sacrifice for themselves because they are sinful humanity. It was temporary it only went so far. They could never reconcile you to God all the way. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. He is eternal. His sacrifice was perfect. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, "...but when Christ appeared as, the high, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood." The sacrifices offered in the Old Testament, they temporarily expiated. They they temporarily atoned the guilt of the sins of the people through this sacrifice, the substitute. It was an animal, an animal that was offered up to God. Even if the priests themselves offered up their own bodies to death, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, Even if I burned myself, even if they offered up themselves, what would it atone for? Nothing, because they were sinful. But the psalmist who records for us the prophetic words of the Messiah himself takes it further. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Psalm forty. The Messiah indicates that His own coming sacrificial death will supersede the Old Testament sacrificial system. He is the better priest. He is the fulfillment of the role of priest. But within this framework, as we said last week, not only is He the priest, He is the temple Where the sacrifice is made and he is himself the sacrifice. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden again where the blood had to be shed for the sin of Adam. It was an animal. When Abraham was going to offer Isaac as we did just a few weeks ago here in obedience to God and God provided the ram whose See, if you get this picture, his head was stuck in the thorns. When the priest would place the sin on one goat and send it out into the wilderness and place sin on the other goat and offer it as a blood sacrifice, when the Israelites uh, were to place the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, protecting them uh, against the final plague on Egypt, the death of the firstborn sons. All of this, beloved, is looking forward with the question of not just where is the priest who was prophesied, but as we said just a few weeks ago in our series in Genesis, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? It's Isaac's question of his father. As they go up Mount Moriah, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And it is our anointed prophet, priest, and king who marches up a mountain as himself the lamb. John the Baptizer says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that death on that cross fulfilled countless prophecies. But what it did is it took what animal sacrifices never could do. It took the sins of people, past, present, future, all those who would find themselves in Christ and covered and atoned for our sins. If you need help with that word atoned, literally break it down. At one. It's making at one-ment. Atonement. Because we could never stand before a holy and righteous God in our iniquity, in our sin There must be a blood sacrifice to atone, to cover us, to reconcile us, to make us right. And it must be a sacrifice capable of covering all of God's people for all of time. The only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies. You know that when the high priest would enter in the Holy of Holies, he would wear a cord around his ankle with bells tied to it. Because if he died back there, no one could go back and just fetch his body. They had to pull him out with a cable. That's how holy and righteous God is. That, uh, uh, when uh, Uzzah reaches out and touches the Ark of the Covenant and he's struck dead... This is the holiness of God. And, and, and sometimes I wonder if our culture just doesn't understand the holiness of God enough. That This was R.C. Sproul's mission, was to preach the holiness of God and get it inside of people so that they began to understand who Christ was and what he had done. Only Jesus... Only Jesus, the the one who did enter into that holy of holies and that at his death, that curtain that had the image of the cherubim, right, that was there to show the failure of Adam to guard the garden, to guard the house of God and the failure of all the priests all the way through, Christ fulfills and tears the curtain in two, breaking the separation between man and God. And allowing for that fellowship, that intimacy, through the sacrifice himself, Jesus Christ. Only Christ. This was always God's plan. This was always the only way. There wasn't ever a plan B. It was always the only plan. And God, in his patience, as Adam failed, as blood sacrifice after sacrifice is offered up, knows that it would be the perfect priest God Himself, God the Son in human flesh would look at His rebellious people and call us to Himself and wash us clean and call us sons and make us His bride. And He is both priest and sacrifice because it's not that He's offered up on behalf of someone else. It is that He offers Himself willingly, that this was the plan of the divine Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit from the beginning. Priests then. Priests fulfilled. Priests now. Well, that's not the end of the story, obviously. Just as Jesus' work as, as, as prophet did not cease when he completed his earthly ministry, so neither has his priestly work. Through Christ Though He took, as He takes that place at the right hand of the Father, because His redemptive work is finished according to Hebrews chapter 11, He now intercedes for us when we sin. 1 John chapter 2, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so while we're correct to focus on what Christ has done for us as high priest, we must not forget those things he is doing for us even now. He he prays for our sanctification, John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. He goes to prepare a place for us. John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. But, But that's not all. When Christ ascends on high as a royal priest in heaven, He sends forth His Spirit to anoint people for priestly service. That is to say, Jesus uh, just as the Spirit anointed Jesus for His priestly work. You remember, He falls on Him like a dove when He baptized Him in the Jordan, when John baptized Him in the Jordan. So now after Pentecost, Jesus baptizes His disciples with The Spirit sealing them in their salvation, empowering them for a priestly service of offering themselves as a sacrifice and their priestly service of evangelism and discipleship. The Holy Spirit, therefore, is the one who makes the church a holy nation, a royal priesthood, sent out to proclaim the mercies of God, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. You believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's in this way that the priesthood of Christ produces a family of royal priests, purified by his blood and qualified for, for service by his spirit, There's no special class of of people who can mediate the means of grace. This is ultimately what drove Martin Luther out of the Catholic Church. It sounds like somebody's upstairs. You see, here was what Luther's problem was. He was trying to be his own mediator. He was trying to be his own mediator as a Catholic who was supposed to mediate these means of grace. It's why he couldn't say the words of consecration at his first Mass. We don't need to go to a priest for, to have sin forgiven. We already have a high priest. In fact, this is what Luther would later say. He is our advocate. He intercedes for us and says, Father, I have suffered for this person. I am looking after them. This prayer cannot be in vain. In Hebrews 4, we read, We have a great high priest, but even though we have had Christ as our high priest, advocate, mediator, reconciler, and comforter, yet we have fled for refuge to the saints and have regarded Christ as judge. Accordingly, this text should be written with gold letters and should be painted in the heart. Therefore, you should get understanding and say, Christ, I know you alone as the advocate, the comforter, and the mediator, and I do not doubt that you are such a person for me, but cling firmly to this with my heart. And believe. And because of our union with Christ, we become a royal priesthood. Did you know that you are a priest? Did you know that? Have you ever thought about that, what that means? Offering yourselves as a living sacrifice. Priests, then, a picture. Of what was needed to cover our sin completely, a picture of what it looks like to represent men to God. Priest fulfilled, uh, uh, the priest of the highest order, who himself does not need to atone for his own sin, but becomes himself the priest and the sacrifice, making a covering for all who are drawn to him. Priests now. He continually makes intercession for us as our great high priest. He sent his Holy Spirit down, sealing us and making us a priesthood of believers through our union with Christ, offering our lives as living sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews gives us our clearest indication of what all of this means. Therefore, brothers... for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day nearing, drawing near. I have a friend who who once was completely living for himself. All all he could think about was himself. All he wanted to do was think about how to make his life better, how to care for himself, how to have the most enjoyment out of life for himself, how to have a good time for himself. And his lifestyle, uh, it, it matched his attitude. And so that's how he was living. And along the way, God disrupted his path. Perhaps that's some of your stories. And he's radically saved. And now what is his desire? He lives for fellowship. He lives for communion. He lives for worship with believers. Why? Because all of this, all of this got into him. He recognized what Christ had done once and for all sacrifice, what he continues to do, making continual intercession. And that transformed him. And now, what is his desire? More of Christ in his personal worship, more of Christ in his corporate worship with the church. A priest who serves the people of God offering themselves up as living sacrifices that is who we are let us pray Father we could have spent a lot more time diving into this there's so much of the priesthood that we've in some sense left uncovered but the the core of it the very heart of it is Christ and so we look at the Old Testament and we look and we feel the longing of the people for a better way and we get to partake in that and yet sometimes we live as people of the Old Testament and we get focused on other things We don't see the sacrifice for what it was. And so we want to, as we prayed at the beginning, perpetually set Christ before us. For we remember not just the sacrifice of which He paid on Calvary, the offering of the sacrifice, the being of the sacrifice itself, but we think of what He he does even now, even in this moment for us making intercession for us. We think of the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives making us a royal priesthood. And though many times we don't feel that way, it is who we are because of our union with Christ. And so, Father, would it be that we would spur one another on in love and good deeds and continually for the meeting together of the body as an act of our priestly worship. Oh, Father, that you would find these pleasing and acceptable in your sight because we are covered with the blood and we are robed in his righteousness. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.